Hi, my name is Stephen Mansfield and this is your 15. I hope you've had a chance to listen to the two 15s that were done by Pastor Brett Fuller on the subject of race. Uh, pastor Fuller is an African-American pastor, has had wonderful experience, uh, negative experience, an opportunity to deepen in the Lord regarding the whole issue of uh, race and what it's like to be inside a black skin, but not just inside black skin, uh, what, it's, what it means and the purposes of God that people are of color or are of different races. And I want to come behind what he taught and talk to you a little bit about how important this is to God. Uh, what God was intending in the world with, with race. Uh, it's fascinating to me, it always has been, that when you read the book of Revelation and you gain, you look at John's revelation of Jesus that is in his throne room, of the, of the Heavenly Father sitting in the throne room of heaven, where did God choose to enthrone himself? Now, now God could, I think it, we, we have to begin with the understanding that God can do it every once, right? So God could pretty much enthrone himself wherever he wants to enthrone himself. He could build his throne in the jungle. He could build his throne on a star. He could do whatever he wants to do. You know what the book of Revelation says? That God enthroned himself in the midst of the praise and the worship of a wide variety of tribes. Every tongue, every language, every people group, uh, all of them are worshiping the Father around his throne. That's where God wants to live. He wants to live, he wants to dwell, he wants to enthrone himself right there where the peoples of the earth, all of them redeemed and bringing their wonderful gifts and accents and language and, and the beauty of their different looks uh, to, to his glory. That's, that's what God wants. And so if we read that back in history and we see how God began to bring that to him, uh, we, we look at some scriptures differently. Uh, first of all, I wanted to allude to a scripture in Philemon's, Philemon chapter 1. Uh, actually, there's only one chapter in Philemon, so it's Philemon 6. Okay? Uh, Philemon 6 uh, says something very, very interesting. He says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in, de in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Let, let me put that in slightly different language. The Greek says, I pray you may be active in sharing your faith in order that we might have insight into every good thing we have in Christ. Now, sometimes when language comes from the Greek, we have a hard time understanding it because we're reading English. And the phrase, share your faith, in modern English, especially to Christians, almost always means go witness, go reach somebody who's lost. But that's not what the Greek word means. In this passage of scripture, it does not say go out and share your faith so that you can have insight into every good thing we have in Jesus. It says instead, I pray you may be active in koinonia, koinoniaing is the Greek word, koinonia, which means to have all things in common. I pray you might live in community. I pray you might live in, in harmony amongst one, with each other in a community, uh, in a body where you're learning from each other and seeing God's grace revealed in each other's lives. Now, I have no problem applying this to race because I have to tell you that I learn and see the glory of God revealed through different ethnicities, different kinds of people, the way different cultures process the gospel, I, I, I gain a revelation of how glorious God is. Um, it, it is. it is an extension of what I enjoy as a married man. I have a marvelous wife whose name is Beverly, and she is different from me. Thank God. She is different in body, of course, but she's also different in personality. She is other to me. She's like an alien from another planet. I say that with all love. Men, women, we're just different. We always will be, always have been. But what I get to experience of the grace of God 
what I begin, to, what I am allowed to see, uh, what I'm allowed to know of, of another way uh, of relating to life and God and uh, the, the variety of God's creation is amazing. Well, that's just uh, another uh, woman of my color and my uh, general ethnicity and uh, of my nationality. How much more would I get to hang with my African friends, or my South American friends, uh, or my Chinese friends, or my Mongolian friends, and I see the grace of God revealed through them? So one of the reasons that God created race certainly was to glorify him, certainly was to show his diversity and show his, uh, his creativity and show his, him creating many different kinds of creatures, human creatures, so to speak, so he could lavish his love upon them and love them and, 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 uh, and welcome them to himself and delight in them. But then also, there's revelation to be gained, there's insight, there's understanding. Um, pastor Brett Fuller is, is my pastor at my church in Washington, D.C., and I gain an understanding of the gospel that's different than I would from a white pastor. There's no question about it, because there's a revelation that comes through his life. That's what I believe is being said in Philemon when we're told, I pray you may be active in koinonia-ing, having a community life in which you love each other and see God's grace in each other so that we may have insight into every good thing we have in Jesus. Now. I want to make very sure that in this discussion of race, that we are not just hearing God say, uh, you know what, I want you to be nice to people who are different from you. I want you to be polite. I want you to be nice. That, that, that's, that's not how, how far it goes. It goes much further than that. And uh, there are some purposes that God has in race. There are some things that God has to say about, uh, about race that are absolutely critical for us. Um, one of them is that we are never going to reach the world unless our churches begin to look far more racially diverse than they do now. In the United States, and I realize there are people watching this from all over the world, but in the United States, uh, it's often said that the most segregated time of the week is Sunday morning. Everybody goes off to their different church. And that's just people who are actually in church. There are a lot of people who aren't even in church uh, who, who, who are, whom we are segregated from almost all the time. Well, uh, what, what intrigues me is that in Acts 13, we see one of the first model churches in the New Testament era in the city of Antioch. Uh, it's the church at Antioch as we know it. And in Acts 13, chapter 1, uh, we have a description of the leadership of that church. Now, I want to just talk it through very quickly to show you how diverse it was. We think we're cool and diverse today, and you know we're on the other side of the 60s and the 70s and, and the civil rights movement. We've, we've got diverse leadership. Watch how diverse they were. So this is a church in Antioch. It's the church that ends up sending Paul and Barnabas uh, on mission. Uh, and and here, here we have it. First of all, you have Barnabas. It says this. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and then it begins to list them. Barnabas, uh, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manahin uh, and Saul. These are the leaders. Okay. Now, we tend to read the Bible like we read the newspaper. We just gloss things over and don't really get drilled down into the depth. But when I break down the ethnicity of these people, watch how, watch how ethnically diverse they were. First of all, uh, we're told that Barnabas uh, is one of the leaders. Well, we know from other passages of the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts, that Barnabas was a Cypriot, meaning he was Jewish. Uh, I'm sorry, that, he, that he, was, he was a Levite, meaning that he was Jewish, and that he was from Cyprus. He's from the island of Cyprus. So he's not even from the area that he's now pastoring. He's a Cypriot. He's from an, he's from an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. Okay? 
Then there's Simeon called Niger. Now we don't know where, he, where he's from, but this, this, uh, this man's name has been much debated over the years because the word Niger is not his last name. It means black man. You can see the racial slur that has come to us through the ages through that. Although at that time, all it meant was it's, it's Simeon the black guy rather than maybe Simeon the, the tall guy or, or, or Simeon the, the short guy. Uh, they were just trying to describe him. So Simeon called Niger. So we at least now have a Cypriot and a black man wherever he's from. We don't know where Simeon's from. Then you have Lucius of Cyrene. Well, where's Cyrene? Cyrene is in the north uh, of Africa where, um, where Libya is now. So, so for at least now we've got a Cypriot, we've got a black man, we've got a man of whatever color, he could have been white, from North Africa. Then you've got Manahan, whose name is Greek, and he grows up at the home of Herod. He's probably one of the Greek youths uh, put into the palace to grow up with a young man who's going to be noble. Uh, and and uh, then, of course, you have Paul, and he's from an area just uh, at the bottom of Turkey, north of Syria, uh, right there of Tarsus. Now, do you see what I'm saying? You have a church in Antioch. None of the leaders are from Antioch. All of them are for somewhere else. Some are black, some are white, some are maybe a kind of Asian, olive-skinned color. The point is that you have a church that's unbelievably diverse. And this is the church that God decides to use to be the missionary sending church of the first century. Uh, what am I trying to say? We have gotten used to, in our generation, uh, churches that are uh, very monolithic, very one color, uh, very one style. And one of the reasons God says, look, ha be, share your faith, meaning that, that Greek word in common, have community, have it be a diverse community, is so that not only we can see the revelation of God in, the, uh, in each other, but also we can reach the world. You know, I'm not going to reach the world if I'm, all I'm doing is going out and getting people to bring them to a white church, or a white American church, or a white upper middle class American church, or a white middle aged upper class American church. Do you see what I mean? The world's diverse. We've got diverse cultures. And so we as the people of God have got to understand the value of race and, and to God's heart. Then we've got to understand uh, the, the revelation of race even within the church, then we've got to understand that we're not going to reach a multicultural world unless the church itself is as multicultural as it's meant to be. And by the way, this is not just spiritual political correctness. This is not just uh, us doing what we uh, are doing to be nice or to be sweet or be kind of like, you know, Jesus uh, in, in some of the Sunday school literature. In fact, on this very issue, Jesus became unbelievably passionate, and we often miss it. Let me, let me take you to that passage of Scripture. In Mark chapter 11, we have the famous story of Jesus having entered the temple of, I'm sorry, entered the city of Jerusalem, uh, heading to his death, you know, that whole holy week where he uh, enters the city and by the end of the week he's dead. But as soon as he enters the, the city of Jerusalem, uh, one of the things, and of course you remember the whole way he got there, you know, riding a donkey and people raising palms and so on, thus giving us today Palm Sunday. But when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, uh, it says he entered the temple, temple courts and he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. Now, most of our interpretations of this verse, uh, of, this, of this story, are that Jesus was hacked off at folks for doing business. Jesus goes into the temple, folks are buying and selling stuff in a holy place, and so Jesus is ticked off at them for doing business. Absolutely untrue. In fact, in the Old Testament, uh, you, it was actually commanded that so a guy wouldn't have to take a bull that he was going to sacrifice from you know, Italy to Jerusalem, uh, or he wouldn't have to carry a whole box full of doves, uh, or he wouldn't have to you know, drag some cow across the, the globe. He could get to the temple, 
change his money into the temple coin, and with the temple coin, he could buy sacrifices, okay, buy the animals and so on. So that money exchanging is going on in the temple. Now, I, there, this is described in three or four Gospels. We don't have time to put it all together here, but let me just summarize it for you. The, the bottom line is the reason Jesus freaked out, overturned tables of the money changers and, and overturned those, uh, the benches of those selling doves um, is, that, is, is found in verse 16 in this, in this 11th chapter of Mark. It says that he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Through the temple courts. See, these guys weren't doing this outside on the streets. They weren't doing it across the, across the way at some storefront. They were doing it in the temple courts. And if you understand a little bit more about where they were, they were actually doing it in the court of the Gentiles. Now, the, not to get too technical, but the court of the Gentiles in the temple at Jesus' time was the only place that the Gentiles had to pray. And God had promised them all throughout Scripture that they would have a place to pray, that, that they would be welcomed in His courts. In fact, when Jesus quotes Isaiah 56, here's what He says, right? And as he taught them, this is Jesus teaching in the courts, he says, it is, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, already you get a sense, he's not coming at business. Somebody's being kept, some other nation's being kept from coming to the presence of God. Well, in the way that the rabbis of Jesus' day used to teach, when they alluded to a passage in an Old Testament chapter or an Old Testament section, they intended for the entire thought of that section to come into the, the hearers' minds. What Jesus is quoting from is Isaiah 56. Listen to what Isaiah 56 says, not just the exact words that Jesus quoted, but a few sentences before. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Foreigners now, those alien, those outside. Foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, to be His servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these will I bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus did not just walk into the temple courts see business being done in a holy place, and lose his mind. Jesus saw callous Jews doing business that needed to be done, but doing it in the only place the Gentiles had to pray. And so he quotes from Isaiah 56, which is a whole chapter promising the Gentiles that if they'll obey his word, they'll have a place in the temple. What Jesus was mad about was racism. What Jesus was mad about it was not business being done. It had to be done. It was commanded. What Jesus was mad about was that these Jewish merchants, and they might have been Russian merchants for all the difference it made. The point is that they, these merchants had callously begun to do business in the only place that the Gentiles legitimately had to come into the temple courts and have a place to pray. Jesus hated that anyone would despise any type of person he had created and keep them from the grace of God. Now, my friends, that's the spirit of racism. That's why this issue of race is so important. Pastor Brett Fuller has taught it, and so have I. That's why we have to understand that our unity across racial lines, building multi-ethnic, multi-racial churches is essential, not only to reaching the world and pleasing God, but to defying this spirit of racism that has absolutely blackened the gospel down through the centuries. And that is your 15.